It is a gospel, Lord, that makes ones who were once in darkness become children of light. And the most natural response to those who are in the light is to tell others who are in darkness about the light. For that is what you have saved us, created and saved us for. So as we talk about this topic of evangelism, more so than a, than, a, than a desire to evangelize, I pray that you give us a deeper understanding about your great love for us so that, as the, so that the desire to evangelize may flow through out of our understanding of your great love for us. Father, I cannot convey anyone, I cannot convince anyone, I cannot persuade anyone. That's what you do. So we pray for the great power of persuasion this morning. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're taking a break in, a, in our sermon series about the Sermon on the Mount. And for the next four weeks or so, we're going to um, study about evangelism. And the reason why we're doing this is um, a, couple of, a couple of reasons. I think this year we want to focus more about sharing our faith um, with the people around us. And second, um, our retreat is about, you know, sharing the faith, right, about, about declaring his name. So it's very fitting, right, that because retreat is coming up, that we explore this topic together. So let's talk about evangelism. If I say evangelism, I think people, it's one of those topics that people feel uncomfortable about. Let's be honest, be real. Because, you know, I think a couple of reasons. Because evangelism is something that you know we ought to do, but we just don't want to do it, let's be honest. And we have a hard time doing it, right? It's, it's like we, we treat it like, like vegetables or broccoli or something. We, we know we need to do it, but we just don't kind of want to. And I guess there's various reasons why, why we don't want to. Maybe it is like this idea of evangelism that we have in our heads, that makes us kind of, ugh. and maybe the, one of the ideas in your head is, you, when I think, talk about evangelism, you talk about, I don't know, going to Tyson's Corner or something, or H Mart or something, and like, talk to random, random, random strangers and say, hey, like, you know, can I talk to you about Jesus? And there's something in you, something in me, right? I think a couple of years ago, my senior pastor in my previous church forced us to do evangelism at H Mart, where there's a lot of only Korean people and Latino people and no English speakers very much. And so, you know, we, we, we were doing it, and it was okay, right? And, and so, like, that kind of, like, embarrassing talking to strangers, ugh, we don't like it very much. And maybe another reason why we don't evangelize is, let's be honest, we're, we're afraid of people. We're afraid of what they will say about us, what our coworkers will think about us. You know what I mean? We want to, you know, we, wanna, we don't want to be called into HR. I've been called to HR a couple of times, not very pleasant. You know what I mean? You know, we don't want our, like, co-workers to think we're Jesus freaks or something like that. So there is reasons why we don't do it. But it's clear in Scripture that Jesus tells his disciples to go make disciples of one age, which means to go evangelize. It's clear. It's the mission of our, it's our God-given mission to evangelize. So we're going to talk about evangelism. But I think maybe one of the, I think for me at least, I think one of the biggest reasons why we don't evangelize is I don't think we know what evangelism really is. It's true we're afraid of men. It's true that we don't want to look like idiots, and that's all true. 
But maybe the more fundamental issue of why we don't evangelize is because we don't know what evangelism is. And that's what we're, that's what we're going to talk about today in the next three, four weeks. What really is biblical evangelism? Right? So before we just define what evangelism is, let's talk about why we evangelize. And then there are three main reasons. I got this from Mark Dever. That's, he's the author of the book that we're studying together, deacons that are studying together. And Mark Dever gives you three main reasons of why we evangelize. The first reason is, like I mentioned before, it is for, for the sake of obedience. Our Lord, the God of everything, the God who saves you, right, tells you to go make disciples of all nations, teaching the, teaching, teaching the people of the world what, what you have been taught about him. That's his commandment to the church, to go make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I've taught you. He's telling us to evangelize. He does, notice, he doesn't say only those who are talented in public speaking go evangelize. He's not saying only those you know, who feel comfortable sharing your faith evangelize. He's saying to all the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't give any exemption to who, go out and, who goes out and evangelizes. And if you declare yourself to be a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you will heed to this command. But the question is then, why does Jesus want us to evangelize? And I think the two main reasons of why he wants us to evangelize, that's one of two other reasons that Dever gives us. I think the reason why Jesus wants us to evangelize, it is because evangelism fulfills the two greatest commandments loving God, and loving other people. We evangelize because evangelism is the best way to honor God's commandment of loving God and loving other people. Let's talk about loving other people first. The best thing that we can do, that we can show our love for the people around us, is to tell them about the truth so that they may be saved. As John 3.16, John 3, we talked about, people are in darkness. They're doing evil deeds. Evil deeds is not just like Darth Vader, you know, Dr. Evil type of thing. Evil means destruction. Because people are in darkness, they are destroying themselves, they are destroying their relationships, they are destroying the world. And the best thing that we can do for these people is to tell them the truth so that they will be in the light. Right? Look, like, um, I've, I've been a pastor since, what, 97? 97? Is it 97? 90, 90, 96. How many years is that? Like 30 or something? Almost 30. Oh, my gosh. No. 23? Yeah. I've been doing this for 23 years. And the majority of those 23 years, I think, before coming here, Right? I was an idiot pastor. You know what, what, what made me an idiot pastor? Right? What, makes me, what made me an idiot was, I thought before coming here, that loving my flock, for example, is just to hang out with them. I thought if I just hang out with them, listen to their problems, give them some pop psychology thing that I picked up here and there, I thought just hanging out with them and doing stuff with them was love. Dan knows what I'm talking about. I saw a lot of movies with my previous church, right? We had Sunday, Sunday movie nights. Remember Sunday movie nights, Dan? 
Right, you know what I mean? I went to a lot of Starbucks. I went to a lot of restaurants. Because all for the sake, I thought if I just hung out with them, that's enough for them to feel that, they, that I love them, and that's enough for them to be a better Christian. I was an idiot. I, no, spending time with them is important. With you is important. Not movie night. I'm never watching movies with any of you ever again. Right? So, like, you know what I mean? But the, what, I, what happened to me when I got here was every conversation that I had one-to-one, I talk about the Lord. And these conversations God has used to bring light into people's lives. What I realized was the best way that I love you is that in my one-to-one conversation, for me to point to Jesus, to you. That's what helps you. Not me spending time, obviously, to be one-on-one, I've got to spend time with you, but not going to movies with you, not giving you pipe psychology, that's not what helps you. What helps you is me pointing you to Jesus Christ. And if there is fruit in the church, it's because partly I'm doing this. The best thing that you can do for the people in your life, your co-workers, your family members, is to tell them about Jesus Christ. Point them to the light. That's why we evangelize, to love people. That's why we do it. Second reason why we evangelize, we bring glory to God by evangelizing. Do you know what the best way to glorify God is in the scriptures? Talk truthfully about him. Talking truthfully about him through your words, right? Convey a proper understanding about him to, the, to other people. That is where God gets the glory. We are fallen human beings. As fallen human beings, we're very result-oriented. We think God only gets the glory when we succeed, when this church becomes big, or, for example, when the worship team sings, and when they see like, people, oh, Jesus, like, like it's responding, we think, yes, God, get the glory. Result is not what God is looking for. Result is fruit of what God does. But what gives God the glory is how you live, and especially what you say about him. Look, I'm convinced that the best preacher in the world right now is someone that we have never heard of. I'm envisioning some guy in the Himalaya somewhere, right? In a house church with maybe six, seven people with yaks. I don't know what, do they have yaks in Himalayas? Yeah, there are yaks everywhere, right? It's cold. But in the group of these people, that preacher declares, the, declares God in the most biblical, proper way. When the pastor does that, God gets the glory. Speaking right things about him, that's how you glorify God. It doesn't matter who is listening. It doesn't matter how many people are listening. As you speak the truth properly, God gets the glory. Sunday school teachers, I know you're leaving in the next 10 minutes. But it doesn't matter what Jimmy or Tommy or Susie thinks about your teaching. That's secondary. God gets the glory when you teach those tiny tots about the proper character of God. 
and about Jesus Christ. Jamie, Todd, Tommy, and Susie, they don't know who Jesus is. Their little heads cannot possibly comprehend who Jesus is, maybe. But their inability to understand does not rob God of his glory. Small group leaders, it doesn't matter. I know, like, you know, small group starting in October, but in February, for some reason, everyone's going to get sick on Friday nights. Saturday, they're all better. But Friday night at 8 o'clock, oh, I feel sick. Can't make it. And this two people show up to your small group. But if you teach that one person well, God gets the glory. Do you understand? We evangelize to love people. We evangelize for the glory of God. That's why we evangelize. Then what is evangelism? Evangelism is conveying to God and to other people the greatest message in the universe, which is the gospel. That phone agrees with me. It is the gospel, the greatest message, the greatest God-revealing, God-glorifying, loving other people that we can share with the people in our lives is the gospel message. Definition of evangelism is this. Evangelism is, I got this, I'm reading a book about evangelism. Um, and that book is written by th- this guy named J- James J. Max Stiles. And according to Mr. J. Max Stiles, he defines evangelism as teaching, heralding, proclaiming, preaching the gospel with an aim to, with, with an aim and a goal to persuade, convince, and convict. So, so definition of evangelism is to teach, proclaim, share the gospel with the aim and a goal to persuade, to convict, right, and to, and, and, and to convince. That's what evangelism is. Let's talk about the first part of evangelism. first part of evangelism, as I said before, is, is we teach and we Herald and we proclaim the gospel. What does that mean? That basically that means is every time that you teach publicly, like what I'm doing right now, you proclaim the gospel. Every time you meet with your coworkers with an aim to evangelize, you proclaim the gospel. Every time you open up your Bible and you and, and you and you share the word of God with your small group people, you share the gospel. That's what you do. Every time that you get together and with other people and with the people of God, you proclaim the gospel. That's what it means. Did you know, according to Jade's Max Stiles, almost half the people who get converted in America, you know how they get converted? They get converted by one-to-one conversations. Right? You take your co-worker out, coworkers out to lunch and you listen to their problems. And you share the gospel. That's how most people get converted. Half the people in America get converted. It isn't through programs. I think we had a pro- Remember we had a couple of evangelism programs? Like we sent people out to Ferox Mall and like, you know, we held tracks. Josh did a good job. Programs are important. But statistically speaking, programs are not as effective 
as people going to other people to teach, to proclaim, right, to herald the gospel message. What is the gospel message? The gospel message is summarizing what we read today. John, in John chapter 16, verses 20, the six, John chapter 3, verse 16 to 21. What is the gospel message? The gospel message, um, the gospel message deals with four main issues. The gospel message, the, we, the thing that we proclaim in Herald, deals with four main issues. Number one, who is God? Number two, what is man? And why is man so messed up? Number three, who is Jesus Christ? And number four, how can we, how can we be saved? Those are, the fain, those are the four elements of the gospel message. Who is God? What, who is man? And why are they so messed up? By man, I mean men and women too. And three, who is Jesus Christ? And number four, how can, we get our, how, can we, how can we be saved? How can our relationship with God be restored? That is the gospel message. Notice, the gospel message is not just telling people about what God has done for you. The gospel message is not just telling, sharing with other people, I, I, didn't have a, I got laid off, but God gave me a job. You should share that, right? You should share that. The amazing thing that God has done for you, you should definitely share with other people. Right? I was a drug dealer, but I found the light. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not selling drugs no more. I'm selling the gospel. Right? That kind of testimony is a good thing. But if it doesn't have the gospel message in it, that's not evangelism. The gospel message, is, the, the evangelism is not apologetics. Apologetics is defending your faith. Right? You talk to your coworkers and you logically go through why the Bible is true, why God is true. Right? It's important, and some of you are really good at it, right? And I'm really good at it. But apologetics, logically arguing why God is true, that's not evangelism if the gospel is not shared. What is not evangelism? Social justice. Telling people to work for social justice, as important as that is, that's not the gospel message. What is the gospel message? Tell people about, number one, who God is. Number two, why men and women are so messed up. Number three, who is Jesus Christ? And number four, how can we be saved? That's the gospel message. Let's talk about the first one. Who is God? Who is God? Right? John 3, 16. God, it starts with God. God so loved the world. Who is God? In order to, for you to properly evangelize, you need to know what the scripture says about God. If your understanding about God is very shallow and very immature, like he's a big Santa Claus in the sky answering your request and giving, to giving you what you need, if your understanding of God is very shallow, you can't be an effective evangelist. Who is God? God is the creator of all things. He is reality itself. Everything is created by him. He sustains all things. Like I went to the Smithsonian last couple of weeks ago, and I dragged my kids to see a movie about dark matter. You know what dark matter is? It's 95% of the universe that is unknowable. 
But what we know about dark matter is that there is laws of physics governing dark matter. Things are functioning a certain way, like expanding in a certain way. That even the unobservable, right, there is rules and logic to it. There is rules and logic to dark matter because Jesus Christ is the author of creation. But God is not only the author of creation. God is a person. God is not a force. God is not an energy field somewhere. God is a person. God thinks. He does. God wills. He does. God feels. He does. The reason why you can think, the reason why you can feel, the reason why you can plan things, the reason why you can do things is because you're made in the image of God who thinks, who wills, who feels, who does. God is a person. The creator of the universe, the sustainer of dark matter, is a person. And this person feels. He loves. He mourns sometimes. He gets angry sometimes. The God, the person of God, not only loves and hates, but the person of God is moral. He is moral. He is about right and wrong. He is about good and evil. Yes, love, but even his love operates within the context of right and wrong. God is not your pipe psychologist. God is not Dr. Phil. Thank God for that. God is a person who is moral. He sees things black and white, right or wrong, good or evil. His love operates within the context of his righteousness. And everything about God, what he thinks, what he does, is right. That's what it means for God to be righteous. Who he is, what he does, is right. And anything that is opposite against what he declares to be right is wrong, is sin. That's who God is. That's a very brief summary, a tiny, minuscule summary of the greatness of God. What is man? Men and women are amazing, precious image bearers of God. There is no being in the universe, even including angels, who reflect the image of God as we do. Our capacity to create, our desire and capacity to love, our desire for right and wrong, all no one has this but the human. We are wonderfully, perfectly made. Therefore, every human being including the guy who cuts you off in traffic during rush hour, deserves dignity. Including the boss that you're so judgy about in your mind, deserves dignity. Even the friend who gossips about you, who hates you, well, that's not really a good friend, deserves dignity. Because they're made in the image of God. But what do people do? even though we're wonderfully made. 
because of our union with our grandpapa, Adam. We rebel against God. And we say, God, you ain't the center. I'm the center. That's what sin is, isn't it? You ain't the center. I'm the center. We displace God. And when we displace the God who is creator of all things, who is reality itself, we are in darkness. We are ignorant of the truth. And because we are ignorant of, of the truth, our behaviors and our feelings and what we do is wicked and evil and fallen. We're wonderfully made because of our rebellious nature in Adam. We displace God. And everything in our lives starts falling apart because we don't know God. When God looks at a sinful person, how does he feel? Part of it is anger. A lot of it is anger. Because we're ruining his perfect creation. But part of it is, I think, is also compassion. His heart breaks for the people who are destroying their lives. What, up, what, what I was obsessed about this week, for those of you who are Korean, maybe you will know. So the big news in Korea, the, the news that just overwhelmed Korea right now, is, is this guy who is the candidate to be the next attorney general of Korea. You guys don't hear about this? And the thing about this guy is, like, he is, you know, like, like Twitter and stuff, he's like, he, he presents as if, as if he's all moral and honest. He's like the little, he's for the little guy. But he turns out, right, that he used his influence to benefit his kids or something. And so the hypocrisy of this guy is just, like, blasted everywhere in Korea. And the reason why I'm so obsessed with this guy is when I look at him, I'm angry. I'm angry because he's a hypocrite. I'm angry because he's a liar, liar, pants on fire, right? I'm, I'm, because he's a law professor, I know what he's doing. Every, like, like insinuation, in, like, every crime that he's allegedly charged, he's tried to, like, ar legally argue his way out of it. It makes me so mad. When I look at him, I say, you a liar! But then my heart breaks for him. Because, because of his lies, his wife is going to be arrested. His daughter, who's in med school right now, she, like, she's going, she, I think she's going to get kicked out of med school and probably, possibly, her undergraduate degree. The family is falling apart. So in one sense, it is anger. But in another sense, my heart breaks for him because he's ruining his life and the life of his family. Perhaps that's the shadow of how God feels about our sins. His heart breaks for you. He's angered by you, but his heart breaks for you. So what does God do? He sends his only son, Jesus Christ. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God has not, it is not God's time to condemn the world, but to save it. And he saves the world 
by giving us his son. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the only son of God, which means he is God himself. He came into the world out of obedience to the Father. He came into the world as a servant. He came into the world to reveal who God is. Through his actions, and especially through his teaching, he revealed who God is. He perfectly obeyed the commandments of God. The thing that Adam cannot do, the thing, the perfect obedience God told Adam, expected Adam. What did God tell Adam? He says, Adam, you can do everything, but just don't do that one thing. This whole world belongs to you. Adam, just don't do one thing. We just don't eat from that tree. One command. Adam said, no, I'm going to do it. But Jesus Christ perfectly obeys God's commands. He's a perfect human being. Why does Jesus have to be a perfect human being? Two reasons. Number one, because when we're united with him, his record becomes our record. When God sees us in Christ, he sees the perfect obedient record of his Christ. Like fantasy football, right? I, can't, I just thought of this in an analogy. Right? You guys aren't actually going in the field and, you know, playing against the Patriots, right? But you guys, like, in the fantasy football league, get credit for whatever thing that your player does, right? And you win, like, $200 at the end as if you, like, you've fought all those games and you victor yourself. It's kind of dumb, but that's the idea, right? I'm not condemning fantasy football people a little bit, right? You know what I mean? But that's the idea. When, when God sees us, when we are in Christ, he doesn't see us as condemned people. When we are in Christ, he sees Christ's perfect record, and we are given his perfect record. But another reason why Christ has to come and obey God perfectly is so that he can be the perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, when you are offering up a sacrifice to the, to, the, to, the, to the Lord, that sacrifice cannot have any blemish in it. To be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, Jesus Christ had to be perfect. And he was perfect. And this perfect Son of God went to the cross, became our sin was ransomed for us, was destroyed for us, so that we can belong to God. How did the song go? He bore my sin and my sorrows, and he made those things his very own. He took my burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful will my song shall ever be. How wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He died for our sins. but he was resurrected. His resurrection served as a vindication and a confirmation 
that what he did for us is right and true. How do you save? That that is what Jesus Christ is, and that is what he came to do. Number four, how do we become saved? John 3.16 says, those who believe in him shall have eternal life. How do you become saved? You repent of your sins. You agree with God that you are a monster, a rebel, a people who are an enemy of God. You repent of that. You agree with God. And you trust in Christ. You believe in Christ. What is the word believe here? Mean? Believe, the word believe here doesn't just mean intellectual agreement. It is a matter of trust. How do, you, how do you become saved? You trust that what Jesus has done for you is true. Which means you don't trust what the world tells you what you are. You don't, you don't trust what your mommy and daddy tell you what you are. You don't trust what your fallen, fallen nature tell you who you are. No, you trust in the words and the promises and the works of Christ. You lean on what Christ has done for you and that is your identity. You lean wholeheartedly on what Christ has done for you. That is what it means to be believing in something. Not just mere intellectual agreement, but a holy trust that this is what Jesus Christ has done for you. And when you trust in that, you're born again. You become a people of God. And you see him, oh, and he blesses you, and you start to bear fruit, and you become sanctified. It is wonderful. But if you don't trust in him, if you just merely agree with what I say, but not trust, you are still condemned, John 3.16 says. You are going to perish you are going to hell. That's the gospel message. Gospel message is not something that you just oh, agree with and then get baptized and just move on for the, with the other parts of your life. The gospel message is life itself. It is the truth. The truth that saves you, the truth that sanctifies you, the truth that defines what the love of God is. You know what the love of God is in the Bible? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the definition of love in the Bible. The definition of love is not God giving you stuff. The definition of love is not just simply God providing for you, which it is. But the core definition of love is while we were sinners, Christ died for you. That's, the, that's how God defines love. When you know the truth, you will know that you are loved in God in Christ. Every time I sin, I'm amazed how God can love me. And it's not just a one-time feeling. It is a constant thing. Do you know that? We share the gospel message persuasively in order to convict and persuade. What does that mean? It means that you just don't give them the facts about the Bible. Right? I'm sorry, facts about the gospel. 
but you present it in a way so that they will be persuaded by it. It is not saying, this is what the gospel is. God, you, Jesus, believe in him or die. Just merely giving him that emotionless presentation is not evangelism. It is evangelism with love and concern, with a genuine care for the other person. The guy that I'm obsessed about, Beckett Cook, you know, he's the former homosexual guy who turned celibate and who just wrote a book and who just can't not stop talking about Jesus. That guy. Like, when he got converted, like, he started talking to his unbelieving friends about what, is, what has happened to him. And it's an amazing thing. And some people, when, when, when they listen to him, like, shun him, other people get converted. But he could not help but to share the gospel with the people around him. One time he says, he, he, was, he went to a, like, a, like a, you know, Santa Monica beach or something, but like, you know, Hollywood producers, like, home, right? Him and his, like, other, him and, him and the other, his, his fellow church member, who was also formerly gay, right? So he went to that dinner, right? And there were all these Hollywood elites around, right? And, like, during the, you know, during the, as, as they were eating dinner in the table, one of the guys says, so, hey, you were once gay, but now you're a Jesus freak, right? You're not gay anymore? In the table full of Hollywood liberals, the guy called him out and said, hey, you're, you're not, you say you're not gay anymore, right? And that table started to get all, like, argumentative. As you like, How dare you judge? And they're like, Becca Cook was defending his, the gospel as best as he can, but he was getting so heated. Beckett Cook says, you know what, guys, stop. I'm here, I came here this evening not to condemn you or not even to preach to you. I came here because I love you. I love you. And then the tensions start dying down. And they're more willing to listen to what he had to say. The underlying motive for evangelism, sharing the gospel message, is love. You don't beat people around the head with it. Sometimes you need to, by the way. Sometimes you need to say, if you don't believe, you will go to hell, brothers. But even that has to be motivated by love. Evangelism is sharing the gospel message with love. Don't you want to evangelize now? I can see it. You want to evangelize. How do we evangelize? What is the first thing that you need to understand about evangelism? First thing you need to understand is, do you trust the gospel? Do you trust it? Do you truly know it and do you truly trust it? How can you share something that you, can, you do not trust? How can you be persuasive about something that you are not persuaded of by yourself? I know, it's, I know we think that we have certain ideas about God, and maybe that's all good and true. But having certain ideas about God is very different from whether you truly trust what Jesus Christ has done for you. 
Unfortunately, it is my experience, especially for people who are raised in the church. Maybe because they think they've heard the gospel. Unfortunately, it breaks my heart, but there's so many self-proclaimed Christians who do not trust the gospel. They will agree with the gospel, but the way they live their lives surely reflect the fact that they do not trust in it. It doesn't define them. You know why the gospel is not, you're not sharing it or, or, or maybe you're not as effective as it is? Perhaps because you're not persuaded by it. You've got to ask yourself, do you trust in the gospel? Is it truly, honestly, sincerely truth to you? Second thing about how you share the gospel. You need to saturate your mind with the gospel. Every day, you've got to look at it and saturate your mind with it. Read the scripture. And the reason why you read the scripture is not for inspiration. The Bible is not a book about to, to inspire you to do good. That's not what the Bible is for. The Bible is for one thing, to reveal who God is. And when you know more about who God is, when you actually study more about who God is, that in, inevitably leads to how fallen you are. And when you understand how fallen you are, then you understand the gospel. You know what my sermon outline on every sermon is? My sermon outline for the last five years, oh, by the way, five-year anniversary, hey, happy anniversary, is I talk about God. And when I talk about God, it inevitably leads to our fallen discussion and revelation about our fallenness. But I don't stay in our fallenness. I say, because we are fallen, we need Jesus Christ. And when you believe in him, he forgives you and he transforms you. That's the sermon outline, and that is what your mind needs to understand every day. Read the scriptures to understand more about God, and that will reveal your sinfulness, which will inevitably reveal why Christ needed to die for you. the more you are saturated with the gospel, you cannot but help but to talk about it. It's true. It just comes out in conversation. It does. Right? Look, during work, and one of the reasons why I think I got the HR is like we talk about politics, which we shouldn't do, and then that conversation just leads to the gospel. Talking about Spider-Man leads to the gospel. When you're saturated, everything leads to the gospel because that's what's on your mind. That's how you evangelize. God doesn't let you do things that you don't believe in. God doesn't ask you to do things that you're not persuaded by. Saturate yourself with the gospel. Three, pray. Truly pray for the opportunity to evangelize. Pray that God will let you see who to evangelize to and pray 
that God will give you the, give you the, 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 the relationship, that God will give you some form of opening so that you can share the gospel. God knows how weak you are. He knows you're afraid. Maybe he knows maybe you're ashamed. But he's not all judgy. He will help you. He really will. Pray for the opportunity, but also pray for the conversion. Look, maybe one of the reasons why we don't evangelize is because we think we need to like, actually see people getting saved in order for us to feel accomplished and successful. That's not true. God never asks you to convert anyone. Listen to me once again. God never asks you to convert anyone. You can't convert anyone. You can't. You really can't. I can't convert anyone. Really, that's not in your hands. Guys, you can't even convert you. If you can't even convert you, how are you going to convert, or convert other people? God is not asking you to do that. He's not. Look, remember the parable of the four soils in Mark chapter 4, I think? Right? He says, like, Jesus gives a parable. The, the, the farmer throws a seed, which symbolizes the word of God, into various fields, right? One like one seed, which symbolizes the word of God, falls into the road and the devil just snatches it up, right? Other, other, other seeds fall into the rocky soil, like when it's thorny soil, but because it's so shallow, the surface is so shallow, right? Um, either, you know, like the thorns chokes it up or whether the sun scorches it, which means, like, which, so that it doesn't grow. And other, other seeds fall into a fertile soil where it bears much fruit. What is, the, what, is the, what is the message Jesus is trying to say, teach with that parable? He says, he's saying, when you preach the word of God, some people, Satan will snatch, the word, Satan will snatch that word and they're not going to agree with it. Which means, some people, when you share the gospel, even with, with the best intention, will think that you're an idiot. Will think that you're a bigot. Will call you to HR. They will. Because of their prejudice against Christianity, they will not listen to you. There's one guy, as I was sharing the gospel the, at work, every time I mentioned the word God, I could see him like, stand up and walk away. When I talk about politics, he's right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I talk about Spider-Man, yeah, 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 yeah. God. It's not up to me to convert him. Some people, they, when you share the gospel, you think that they understand. Right? And you start crying, yeah, it's true. And you're so excited. But it doesn't last long. Because the care of the world and the difficulties of life, make, they'll think it's, the gospel is irrelevant. And they leave. That's happened in this church. I preached the gospel. And for a season, they think they understand. They agree with me. They're excited about it. And they come here for a year. And then they leave. For a season, this all made sense. But when the hardships of life, when the care and concerns of this world, money and the deceitfulness of riches, persecutions and hardships, when those come, people will leave. 
I know you think you have the ability to save people. You do not. All God has called you to do is to share. Lovingly, persuasively as possible. And prayerfully because understanding that God is the one that converts people. So you pray. That's how you evangelize. It is our calling to evangelize. Once again, if you can't, pray that God will help you. He really will. If you're not trusting the gospel, pray that God will save you. That God do his work in you so that you will be a great witness for him. Let us pray.